You are listening to the Ontario Council for International Cooperation's Tapestry 2030 podcast series focused on the future of international cooperation and global solidarity and the partnerships needed for gender transformative sustainable development. My name is Safa and I'm your host. In this series, I'll be in conversation with diverse development actors and leaders from across Ontario and around the world, learning how they are working together to address some of the most pressing sustainable development challenges of our time. You'll hear stories of partnership, approaches to just recovery in the context of the COVID-19 pandemic, and insights on ways you can make a difference in our collective work to leave no one behind. Resilience to me means hope. Hope that people can come together and work for a better future. That's what resilience means to me. Resilience is important, but it's not sufficient. We need to go further. We need to address the root causes that are putting people in vulnerable situations. Today, we are in conversation with Interpares, a Canadian NGO that works both domestically and internationally, and their partner, Tinigena in Guinea-Bissau. They have a 30-year-long relationship, and one of the many social issues they work on addressing is food sovereignty and women's economic empowerment. My name is Rugi Balde. I work as a project assistant in Tinigena, and my main role is to assist in the identification elaboration of projects in Tinigena. I work very close with the managing director, as well as the different teams in the different projects. My name is Eric Chauvet. I work at InterParis, and InterParis is a Canadian social justice organization that's based in Ottawa. I joined the organization in 2005, and I've had the pleasure of working with Tinigena from the beginning. InterParis is a feminist organization. It really works closely with women to create more agency and to address the root causes of inequality. We work both in Canada on social justice issues and link that work with international work. So Interparis began to work with Tinigana back in 1991. Back in the 80s, there were a lot of structural adjustment programs that were happening in countries in the global south. And a lot of governments had taken on huge amounts of debt. And then all of a sudden, those debts needed to be repaid. And the World Bank and the IMF started imposing some very strict conditions for debt repayment. And this led to really the dismantling of a lot of government social services to the populations. It was quite devastating for a lot of countries in the global south, including in Guinea-Bissau. And so a lot of programs that existed, for example, in terms of rural extension, where there was support to farmers, agricultural research was dismantled. A lot of the basic public health care services were very much reduced as well. And at the same time, some groups began to organize. So civil society began to, to organize to try and fill some of those gaps. And so this is the context where Tinigena was created. At the time, there was a young intellectual. She was also working at the Ministry of Education in Guinea-Bissau. Her name is Augusta Enriquez. She had worked with Paulo Freire, who is a very well-known, popular educator. He's also the author of The Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And so she was very much influenced by his work, and she worked alongside him when he came to Guinea-Bissau. Paulo Freire is originally from Brazil, and a lot of his work was done in the favelas there, working on, on literacy and critical pedagogy. And so Augusta carried that methodology of organizing and of popular education and of critical awareness of, of questioning some of the conditions under which people were living, asking questions such as, why? Why is there so much poverty? Asking the whys, which is very important. And then she had a dream. She said, well, you know, 
I want to see the communities thrive in my country, but I also want to protect the beautiful biodiversity that exists here. And so she had a dream of creating her organization called Tinigena, which means this land is ours in the local Kasanga language. And so we were supporting some work around non-formal education in Guinea-Bissau. We got to know Agusta, and we got to, to hear about uh, this dream of hers, and we helped her raise some funds and helped her colleagues found Tinigena. And so this happened back in 1991. And since then, we've continued to support and work with Tinigena. And it's been a beautiful relationship ever since. Agusta likes to say that Interparis was a midwife for Tinigena. I really like the sound of that. Tinigena was an organization that was part of an emergency movement of civic organizations that bet on boosting a new dynamic, effective population participation in, in the construction of a new Guinea-Bissau. Tinigena was part of these civil society organizations that marked the evolution of, of civil society itself. Uh, Tinigena has its mission to promote the participatory and sustainable development based on the conservation of natural resources, natural and cultural resources, and the exercise of civic action. Envisioning a Guinea-Bissau where local people can make their contributions to a well-being of their country and benefit from the process. Tinigena works on several different aspects and topics, including gender issues. Its support for issues related to female emancipation has existed since its very foundation. The main example we have, uh, Uruk, which is the complex of three different islands located in the Bijagos Islands, the famous Bijagos Islands in Guinea-Bissau, that constitutes the main intervention area of Tinigena. In here, Tinigena has been operating since the uh, 90s and where, where our work with women has brought considerable improvements to their lives. A curious story about our involvement in Uruk is that it was also through a woman uh, that Tinigena started its intervention in Uruk. She was a very well-known and respected community leader named Kantusha. It was Kantusha who approached Tinigena when they were giving a capacity building training in one of the islands, in the Bijagos Islands, and um, invited Tinigena to also provide some training to the women in their community. The intervention then was so successful that Uruk eventually became Tinigena's main intervention area, creating a women organization that promoted their rights there. So working with women and with initiatives that support female leaders was always in the fabric of Tinigena. The work with women continues today, and uh, a great example of that is with the Rural Women Project, where I had the opportunity to participate, which aims to contribute to the strengthening of the participatory democracy in Guinea-Bissau by promoting the exercise of equal citizenship rights between men and women in the political sphere. Personally, I had the opportunity to work in the field more actively in the first phase of the project. Now we are in the second phase in the east coast of the country, but the first phase happened in the north. And uh, I had the opportunity to get to know and to work and to get to know the real challenges faced by these women, difficult socioeconomic challenges that they face. Most of these women suffer and are deprived from what we would consider normal. They are deprived from that. 
in most cases, these women are not only responsible for domestic activities, but also for ensuring agricultural production and guaranteeing the sustenance of their families, for example, as well, the education of their children. They are also the ones who suffer not only from having uh, little access to places where the decisions are made, which are mostly safeguarded by men, men that often end up dictating and defining how they should manage the various aspects of their own lives. To better understand the context in which Tinigena operates, it is helpful to have an understanding of the geographical landscape that has shaped the knowledge systems of local communities. So the landscape is typical Guinean landscape, wide open spaces where you have access to water and the land, you have lots of vegetation and, uh, you know, they live in islands. So it, it's just beautiful to be there in, in Uruk, the islands of Formosa, Chedinyang and Yago. And the communities in Uruk are very uh, united and they work together in many occasions. They are basically communities that through their beliefs, they work in protecting their natural resources. Tinigena's work with them just came to complement those beliefs. They are very resilient and they are believers in preserving what's theirs and promoting their, their values uh, very strongly. There is a lot of biodiversity, also a lot of cultural diversity from one region of the country to the next. There's many different languages that are spoken. And then when you go into the archipelago, to the, the Bijagos archipelago, it's called the Bijagosa Archipelago because it's inhabited by the indigenous Bijagos people. They have very strong values around the protection of nature. And the Bijagos people have an animist culture. Nature is sacred to them. And they have a lot of rules and rituals to protect the biodiversity, to protect the forests, to protect the animals that live there. And so when Tinigena started working in the archipelago, there were efforts to create a protected area there. And quite differently from the experience that we've had in other parts of the world, when a natural protected area is created, often people who are living there are kicked out. In Guinea-Bissau, it was quite different. There was a recognition that the indigenous peoples there cared for the land and the waters and the animals. So there was an effort to build a conservation plan based on the local ecological knowledge of the Bijagos. And so there were studies done in the Bijagos Islands to look at where the most important productive biological areas were. Uh, so, for example, fish spawning grounds. And these were, were mapped out. And often what would happen is the areas that were most critical habitats for a variety of species were also identified as the most sacred areas by the Bijagos. So there's a perfect overlap of traditional ecological knowledge with traditions that controlled the access to those areas and what people can do in those areas. So that's just to give you a sense of the incredible knowledge that exists in terms of protecting biodiversity. So just to give you an idea of what the Bijakos Islands look like, when you travel there, it's quite surprising because usually when you travel to islands uh, that are inhabited, the villages are along the coastline. Whereas once you get to Bijakos Islands, the villages are in the heart of the islands, like in the forests. And the islands are surrounded uh, by dense mangrove forests. And as you walk into the islands, you'll see a lot of, of palm trees, and then there's palm savanna habitat, and there's rice growing. And then further in, you have more dense forests. And so it's quite a, a diverse environment. And surrounding the villages, you'll have these towering 
mango trees that provide so much fruit uh, for the, the inhabitants. So it's, it's quite a beautiful, beautiful area. And the Bijagos have been very careful not to cut the mangrove forests because they understand how important and the critical role that these forests play for the protection of the coastline to prevent erosion. And of course, today with climate change, we understand that ocean levels are rising. And so it is so important to protect those mangrove forests to prevent uh, the islands from eroding. Over the past decades, Interpares and Tinigena have worked together on various projects to promote food sovereignty and economic empowerment of women farmers. So as mentioned before, Interpares is a feminist organization. We've seen the power that happens and the changes that can happen when women come together and organize to address root causes of inequalities in their communities and even in their countries. And it's no different in Guinea-Bissau, where we've been working for 30 years now. To give you a sense of this and to talk about one initiative in particular that's called Kilkidinos Tembalor, which is Creole, a language that's spoken in Guinea-Bissau, which means what we have has value. And in this country, there's a lot of problems with, for example, agricultural dumping. You have rice that's produced more cheaply elsewhere, from Thailand, for example, or from the U.S., and that's dumped onto the markets in Guinea-Bissau, which has a really devastating effect on farmers' economies there. And so Tinigena has worked really hard to support agricultural production that's local, that's ecological as well, and where you build more autonomy within the communities. What's extremely important to understand is that there's a lot of models that are being pushed or encouraged by large corporations that actually are very disempowering to farmers. The introduction of seeds that only grow well if you also introduce chemical fertilizers and pesticides is one model that's being being pushed by these multinational companies. Also, under these arrangements, the farmers that purchase these seeds can't use them from one season to the next. Uh, So that's quite a problem. These are agricultural methods that are quite vulnerable to shocks. And Tinigena has really understood that what needs to be cultivated in Guinea-Bissau is food sovereignty. So when we're talking about food sovereignty for Guinea-Bissau and for Tinigena, really, it's about farmers' control and autonomy. They don't want farmers to be dependent on foreign companies' inputs, chemical inputs. And so they want to rely on the local knowledge, um, the local biodiversity, the local seed diversity, and practice agriculture in a way that's sustainable, but also in a way that farmers maintain control over their lands, over their seed systems, how they grow the food, and also how they sell it. And so exerting control over in terms of markets. And so by doing so, you ensure food security. And by working to develop a demand for these local foods, you're also ensuring uh, markets for these foods. And you're also maintaining the amazing diversity and all the, the delicious flavors that come with these foods that are grown locally. So a beautiful example of this is what's happening in the Bijagos Islands, where there are a lot of local rice varieties that are grown and that are quite nutritious. And Tinigena is working with a network of seed savers, or guardos tusementes, as they, they call them. And this network of seed savers is predominantly made up of women. And, you know, seed saving in Guinea-Bissau is a women's business. And there's a lot of care in terms of preserving the seeds, the diversity, um, how to store them properly to prevent them from being eaten by rodents or other pests, and to care for those seeds and to prepare them for the next planting. And so the network of seed savers brings together seed savers from all the different villages through the archipelago. And it's been quite effective in terms of building an important seed supply for the islands to ensure their food security. And as we know, with the pandemic, there's been a lot of interruptions in terms of supply chains, which has put 
and to danger you know, the agricultural season of many farmers. Whereas in the Bijagos Islands, those communities, because they had their seed stocks and their local varieties, and because they weren't dependent on foreign seeds or inputs, they were able to plant and today they're food secure. So we see the resilience there. And so that's really important. Basically in Guinea-Bissau, and I think in most African countries, the uh, production agriculture is really led by women. And they are the main personalities working to produce food. And uh, they are at the forefront of the sustenance of the family. The food security really has women's faces all over it. Therefore, they are the face of it and they are the champions. With regards to the promotion of those products uh, from Kirkidinosti and Balur, Tinigena really puts the efforts into bringing those products into the public and sells them in Tinigena's shop in our headquarters and also promoting those products within local schools and local farmers markets and uh, spaces like that. We really try to, you know, bring awareness to people in that aspect that people should really consume what is local and what is naturally produced. As an archipelago, Guinea-Bissau faced unique challenges brought on by the coronavirus pandemic. This pandemic obviously caught everybody by surprise. And uh, in Guinea-Bissau, where there is already huge limitations and difficulties in many different aspects of these women's lives, this pandemic just came to make things even more difficult. For example, uh, food production, basically uh, with the lockdown and the the lockdown measures, uh, it was really difficult in many of these communities, particularly in the islands, for them to have access to the markets, to the main market, which is in the mainland uh, in Bissau. So it was really hard to basically uh, get their products out there to be sold. So that was a great economic restraint. And uh, the way that uh, some women found a way out and a way to survive to this was, uh, I was speaking to my colleague who works there, and he was explaining to me that what they did was to try to trade the, the products amongst them, since they couldn't have access to the markets because of the problems with the transportation and the limited access to the roads. So they were trading products amongst them and uh, exchanging products amongst them and really surviving in that way. So that is one of the things that they did in Uruk. Also in Gabu, where the Rural Woman Project is working now, there was huge, huge challenges with regards to road access, not only imposed by the lockdown, but also because of the weather. During that time, it was the rainy season in Guinea-Bissau, so the access to, to the main markets was almost inexistent. The majority of these women's products really got rotten and uh, they didn't uh, manage to uh, sell them out. Uh, So those were the biggest challenges. One woman who was impacted by these challenges is Sally Kamara, who has seven children, lives in Chabidu and produces and sells palm oil. I grew up and naturally learned of the work of palm oil. To start the business, it needs at least 1,000 CFA francs. That buys 10 measures of palm kernels. We boil it and then grind it manually in a pestle. But with the existence of a machine in the area, I take my product after crushing to do the extraction and proper separation for the desired product. But when you do not have the machine for separation, then the palm oil will be made from the residue. I do it manually. The seed that becomes residual can be extracted from its oil for the manufacture of black soap. 
which is sold after having some left over. To obtain a cleaner oil, it is necessary to break the core and bake the almond kernel to extract its oil, which I sometimes provide for women who work with fried foods. However, with COVID-19, there was a lot of loss as it was not possible to go to Basel to sell either soap or oil. That's why I tell anyone who doesn't know that if you work hard, you can make a living from potato, cassava, beans, and vegetables too. During this time, Interpares provided Tinigena with extra funds to support various pandemic-related projects. Interpares provided some extra funds to Tinigena which enabled us to go out and work with the communities in our intervention areas in Uruk, in Gabu, and in Buba, which is in the south. We managed to conduct activities such as some campaign regarding to COVID and how people should deal with COVID and how to avoid COVID. With that fund, we also managed to basically, in Uruk, reestablished the local radio, which wasn't working at the time. So we managed to get some uh, new uh, equipment and reestablish the local uh, radio. And uh, through that radio, we launched many different campaigns to bring awareness to people with regards to the dangers of COVID and how they should behave around COVID. And also with that funding, we managed to provide people with some uh, food and hygiene assistance and uh, to train local nurses on how to uh, deal with COVID measures we were able to do those things with the funding provided by, by Interpares. The partnership between Interpares and Tinigena is shaped by shared values and a common cause. Interpares means among equals in Latin, and that really reflects the values that we espouse as an organization. Among equals internally means that, for example, Interpares is not a hierarchy. We're organized horizontally, and we're all co-managers within the organization. There's 15 co-managers that manage the organization, and we work by consensus. And of course, feminist thought and practice has been extremely important in terms of influencing how we're organized internally. We also are quite critical of the charity model. We believe in social justice. We identify organizations who share those values of seeing the world as a place of inequality and understanding that we need to address those inequalities to transform that world. And so, of course, Tinigain is a perfect example of an organization that's locally rooted, that has a strong women leadership within the organization, and also that shares these values. I think a lot of international development organizations often open offices overseas, whereas Interparis, we only have the single office here in, in Ottawa. And we prefer to partner with local organizations so that we don't occupy the political or civic space that belongs to those organizations in those countries. We're also activists here in Canada. We try to change things here to push for more progressive stances, more progressive policies to advance social change. And we support organizations in the global south so that they can also do that in their own countries. But we're not the ones dictating what they should say or do. It really is this common cause relationship. Common cause to us also means that we share knowledge and help each other out. And so it's extremely important for us when we're doing policy work here in Canada, for example, And we're trying to influence the government's positions on climate change or biodiversity or, for example, the destructive role that certain mining companies are playing internationally. We try to to make sure that our policy positions are informed by the reality on the ground. And so it's so important to have partnerships such as Tinigena who can give us that advice, that expertise and that knowledge, and that can really help us bolster 
our policy positions to try and influence the Canadian government. So it really is a common cause relationship that we seek to develop with partners in the Global South. Uh, most of the times we find that the international development organizations try to impose their own line of work to the local organizations that they work with, which is often very challenging because the local NGOs or the local organizations work in different environments that are usually very challenging. And that those, um, those imposed work structures do not always work well in those environments. So the work that Interpares do or their approach is it's really what uh, I think the way forward. This collaborative way of working and cooperating, it just helps complement each other's goals, you know. Furthermore, the work of Tinigena is always community-led. We empower the communities in different aspects and lines of work. But at the end of the day, the communities are the ones who design the way they want to work. They, they are the ones who, who lead the way to change. For example, in Uruk, we have the marine protected area, which is led by the community. The community organized themselves and really managed that area the way they want it, basically. Tinigena just helps them in a way of structuring maybe the administrative work of it, but it's really led by the community. It's enforced by the community and it's for the community. So they are the ones responsible for building change because that's a way also of guaranteeing the sustainability of the actions. You know, if you involve the communities and they really engage in it, then there are a higher chance that things will go on and they'll be sustainable. Tinigena's main methodology is to really empower communities so that they are independent, independent in their in their in their action, and uh, that they can take those actions forward. So a major takeaway for me working with Tinigena over all these years is that there's a lot of hope. You know, we hear about wars, disease, droughts. There's a sort of image of helplessness that's often projected, and it really is a disservice. And it's not a full reflection of the reality on the ground. There's a lot of hope and resilience. The communities where Tinigena works are food secure because they've been able to protect the forests or the waters, the ecosystems where they can draw their sustenance. The communities are extremely vibrant. The cultures are alive. Food traditions are extremely rich. In a lot of those communities, social structures have been developed to enable people to help each other to face adversity. And so one really inspiring example for me is Tinigena's work on school meals programs. So Tinigena is working with a network of 2,000 rural women across the country to grow local ecological vegetables. And these vegetables then go to schools to nourish children, you know, across schools in Guinea-Bissau. And not only is this school meals program providing nutrition for the children, but it's also providing an incentive for parents to send uh, their children to school to at least get one square meal a day. And it's also an incentive for families to send their girls to school because often because of patriarchy, because of certain attitudes, girls might be kept at home and it's the boys that would be sent to school. But now because there's the school meals program, it's an incentive for families to send their girls to schools. So you've created an initiative or like a social safety net that improves nutrition for children, but that also establishes a secure market for women to sell their products. One of those women is Monica Nebunde, who has three children and lives in Caffeine. She's been selling rice to the school meals program for about one year. 
This year, my family sold about 20 tons to the school canteens project. As it was the first year we sold for the project, I realized that my life has improved because with the sale to the project, I managed to take my children to the hospital and I'm paying the monthly fee with more peace of mind. I would like, as far as possible, that the project help with utensils and tools to strengthen the horticulture of the village. A rice hulling machine would be of great value because it would improve working conditions because the machine facilitates hauling and then speeds up the ability to hire farmers. We also face pest problems with rice polders, so we use the alternative method of pest control, which is leaving tambacumba leaves in the sauce daily. Eric further reflected that Guinea-Bissau's school meals program should be an inspiration and call to action for Canada. We're one of the richest countries in the world. Yet, we're the only country, member of the G7, without a national school food program. It's ridiculous. Guinea-Bissau is doing it, and the food that they're providing their students is locally grown, there's no pesticides, it's healthy, and it's a great market for local farmers. Why can't we do this here? So we have a lot to learn from Tinigana, and I feel really privileged to have worked with them these past 15 years, and I hope to continue to work with them for the next 15. Yeah, and just to add up to what uh, Eric was saying, I think uh, the way to to move forward and to have meaningful impact at the local level is really by working together just the way Tinigena and Interparis do, you know, in a collaborative way. It's really impactful to work in a collaborative way, just the way the communities do. Those communities, the people and these women that work in those communities often work together and work in a collaborative way. And that is a, a, a way forward to me. It's that line of work is the way forward and should be the way of the future, in my opinion, because that's the way of developing communities and, and uh, developing a country. To learn more about their Common Cause partnership and the work of Interpares and Tinigena, you can visit the website www.interpares.ca, follow them on social media, and feel free to send them a message of support. Thank you to all our wonderful guests for sharing their story with us today. Make sure to tune in to the next episode of the Tapestry 2030 podcast as we continue to share other stories from our OCIC membership community. The Ontario Council for International Cooperation is an expanding community of members working for global social justice, human dignity, and participation for all. Join us! Visit www.ocic.on.ca to learn more.